Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, reading from verse 1. In the ESV, another surprise. Anyway, newsflash. Uh, total whim, really, but anyway, here we go. It says this, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those in every place uh, who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. All the way through the Bible, there are lots of examples, too many to mention really, of God calling people, God calling an individual, uh, as Will was just reminding us about, you know, followers of Jesus, follow Jesus. We're called to follow him. Uh, lots of examples of God speaking into someone's life and say, follow me, here's the plan that I have for you. Here's the part that you, uh, that you play in my purposes. Uh, that can, obviously that happens to individuals and it happens to big groups of people. So it says not just of individuals, but God, says, um, God said, out of Egypt I called my son. Who's he talking about initially? Talking about the, the nation of Israel. You're, you're mine, I've called you. Come and follow me, come and be with me. God's call to a whole nation and God's call uh, on a whole uh, on the church as well. And we're going to explore the call of God uh, this morning as we look through this passage. The call of God on individuals' lives. You know, we can think of uh, just a few examples. God called to Jeremiah. It says that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And what was God's call for Jeremiah? To be a prophet appointed for the nations. And he'd learn what that meant. That might sound grand and wonderful. It meant lots of challenge, actually, because people didn't always like the things that, he, that God gave him to say. But God called him and God had plans and purposes for him. Uh, thinking about the Christmas story. We've been looking, in, a, in effect, at God's call on Mary's life. So it worked out a bit differently. It was a... It was the angel Gabriel appearing to her. Mary, God's chosen you. God's called you. God's at work in you. God's got a plan for you. Follow that plan. It's interesting how the, the call of God can come to people when they're really young. Mary wasn't that old. Jeremiah wasn't, wasn't old at all. Samuel in the Old Testament, he was just a young lad being woken up by the voice of God in the middle of the night and he thought it was Eli. God speaking. We've got a God who speaks. We've got a God who calls people. We've got a God who sometimes does that in dramatic, awesome ways. He spoke to Moses, called out to Moses from a burning bush. Moses, take your sandals off. You're standing on holy ground. He didn't realize where he was. He saw this bush that wasn't quite burning and he hears God speaking to him, calling him. 
He said, follow me, I've got a plan for you. Um, so sometimes in, in dramatic ways, uh, sometimes not, but God's, God's work speaking into individuals' lives and calling them into something, calling them into his purposes. But noting again, it's the call of God, it's not just an individual concept. For us living life in the West, that can seem the, the easier one to grasp because all the time we're, we're encouraged to, to discover our unique uh, purpose, if you like, uh, our unique identity. So that can be second nature. And sometimes we need to spend a bit more time catching up with God's call on a people, God's call on a church. Uh, it can sound a bit old-fashioned, I suppose, the call of God, uh, perhaps a bit vague. But this is something, as, as Paul gets going in 1 Corinthians, it's clear that he is very clear on. He's clear about his own call from God, and he's clear on God's call on the church. And if we lose sight of one or the other, we're probably going to be really weird. God wants us to be clear on his call personally, and he wants us to be clear on his call on us as a people, um, as a church. So we'll, we'll explore both as we get into these first few letters. What do we see straight away, and more so from from Paul's personal experience, but we can look to uh, explore that and apply that in our own lives too, is what, what this calling is about. Well, it's a call to purpose. Uh, Paul just very briefly introduces himself in these words. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Often at the beginning of the letter, he'll, he'll say something along those lines. He'll introduce himself and he'll, he'll be... Uh, pointing out he's, he's called from God. God has called him into his service. God has decided what he should be doing. It wasn't just uh, Paul's bright idea. It was a bright moment on the roads of Damascus where Jesus rocked up. So the story is shared in a bit more detail elsewhere. God, Jesus himself, appeared in radiant glory after his death and resurrection, kind of made a special appearance on the road to Damascus uh, as Paul was on a journey, on a path. God could see what path he was on. In a sense, it wasn't a great one. He was on the road to Damascus. And when Jesus appeared to him, he says, oh, Paul, why are you persecuting me? That's what Paul was doing. Actually, he was persecuting Jesus. How was he doing that? Well, by persecuting his followers, his believers. He was going on a mission to Damascus. And God completely interrupts his plans. In a way, he does continue the journey. He does go to Damascus. But everything then has, uh, has changed. You can get um, at one occasion where he shares the story himself in a bit more detail in Acts 26. Uh, verse, just reading from verse uh, 14 says there, that, uh, And when we'd all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul! Why are you persecuting? It's persecuting me. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you've seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you 
to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. God's call saves, saved Paul in that, in that time. I suppose it's strange because he thought he was serving God. He thought he was doing what the God of Israel wanted. But the risen Lord Jesus interrupts him completely. It's, it's, God's call comes to us and we're saved. Imagine right now if just outside the Jubilee Center, outside those second set of double doors, um, during the meeting, suddenly a, a big sinkhole opened up. Hope you've never seen one of those uh, in real life. But a, a sinkhole, sometimes where just the, the soil and the ground underneath the surface is eroded away over time. The surface is weak, therefore a point comes when it crumbles and just forms this massive pit. Now, you're not looking that way, so you can't see it, but let's say it's there and I can see it and you're just wandering out, chatting to your friend, and I call to you. I call you by name. John, Lucy, Andy. I call you by name. Stop. Why? Because I want to save you from falling into a pit. But God's call to us functions more than just that. It's not just I want to save you. It's not just I want you to experience forgiveness, which is wonderful in itself. But I'm calling you. I'm calling you back. I'm calling you to a different direction. I'm calling you to myself. And I'm calling you to purpose. Maybe that's something we are to expect more of this year, discovering the purpose of God, discovering the call of God, discovering the plans of God, discovering why he saved you, why he called out your name, why he drew you to himself. I wonder if this sometimes happens in you know, like some sporting circles. There's a scout, a talent spotter, and he sees a young lad, and he thinks, I can, in some ways, in the community that he lives, I can see the path he's on. I can see the way he's headed. I can see where this could go. I can see where life could lead him, and gangs, and knives, and drugs, and all sorts. But I can see that he can kick a ball, or I can see that he's got a few good moves on him. I'm going to call him. I'm going to rescue him, and I'm going to give him a completely different purpose, which would be far more fruitful than the life I think he could have. Discovers great talent, if you like but sets him to a completely different purpose. We may have great talents or not, but the fact is God has something in mind. That's why he's spoken to our life. God, God saves us for a purpose. He's got things in mind for each one of us that are not just some uh, kind of divine afterthought. Well, I saved them. Now, what should I, how am I going to use them? What, what gap can I fill with them? Oh, I mean, we can sometimes think in those terms, can't we? Oh, it's just about filling gaps. No, God's got specific plans and purposes for everybody in his family. Like Paul, it's right there from the outset. And that's the case for us. Things that God has prepared, good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. Maybe not too dissimilar to Jeremiah for all of us. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I've called you. And I'm going to be with you. Sometimes, and this would be the case for Paul as well. It all came in a sudden moment. He was saved and he was set into God's purpose. That needed to be discovered over quite a number of years. He didn't find himself in Corinth straight away. He discovered the will of God. 
Sometimes that came because Barnabas knocked on his door, and however many years later, and said, I think God needs you to be in Antioch. Come with me. So God's call, God's purpose was experienced through what other people would say and do, but it was right there from the get-go. And sometimes for us it can be revealed in stages, worked out over years. Sometimes we might have an idea of what God's call is and actually we've we've started to imagine what it is rather than seeking God and what he's saying it is. And sometimes we've got to work through some disappointments. It's not quite what I thought it would be, but it's something else. But it is there. God has plans. He has a purpose. There will be different specifics for all of us. For some of you, you'll know your, your call in God very much involves maybe what you do for a living. It's like you just got that sense, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing what I'm designed to do. A, a job, an occupation may not be that for everybody. It may not be God's call. It might be God's gift, God's provision, the, the means of paying the bills, the means of meeting some people who don't believe them, the, a productive life without necessarily saying, this is my calling God, it can be different. Uh, Like we were just looking at those biblical examples, for Mary, she was called to carry Jesus. She was called in God to raise him. She was called to raise a family. For some, the call of God will involve marriage and family life. And then you'll know that kind of, for a good season of life, kind of narrow down your options. That's what you're focused on, that's what you're doing. It's important, it's God-given. The call of God it will not be to damage your marriage or family. Whatever the call of God is, is not to sacrifice something biblical that God has called you to. And for others, kingdom work will mean it's better being single. That's what Paul will go on to say. Well, we're going to go through 1 Corinthians most weeks, and altogether we'll have something different. We might take a strategic pause every now and again because it's quite a long book. We'll get to chapter 7, where he talks about marriage and singleness, describes them both as a gift. But for Paul, it was fundamental. If if I were married, I, I, I wouldn't be able to carry out what God's called me to do. I wish that you were all as I am, he'll say. And sometimes it's easy for, for us to talk more about marriage than to talk about singleness. So both are a gift to, to be used for God's glory. And Paul would encourage us to be single. I mean, not if we're married already, but do you know what I mean? <laughs> like culturally, the encouragement is get together with someone. Oh, I hope this year is the year. But in God, there's those verses that never get quoted at a wedding. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm running ahead, aren't I, really, a little bit. Um, Where are they? Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 28. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. Oh, thank goodness. Um, And if a betrothed woman marries, she's not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. And then he goes on. It doesn't tend to get mentioned on, on weddings, does it? But one has this gift, another has that gift. Believe that God has called you with purpose in mind. You might be in a job and you think, I don't think this is my calling, but I'm, I'm giving it a good go. Yeah, Paul will write to slaves and say, if you can get your freedom, do. <laughs> Being content in the knowledge that God has got you where you are, 
Uh, some of you, in terms of work, you might be thinking, I hope I get my freedom this year. I hope I find something different. Oh, let's trust God. that He's gone ahead of you. He's provided. He's worked it out. Um, by, let's believe in the purposes of God because you're going to need, in whatever they are, you're going to need to persevere. I should start talking about church in a minute. Anyway, this is point number one, called to purpose. You have to persevere in what God has called you to do. What was Anne saying? One of the kind of phrases that just stood out to me as she was prophesying. Press in. Press on. Keep going. Paul would have had to do that. And we know that from his experience in Corinth itself. In this letter, he's going to say, he's going to write, when I came to you, it, it, it was in weakness and much trembling. The call of God was to be there at that time. He was weak and he was trembling. There was something about this massive city that could have been a bit intimidating. And so what happens, Jesus comes to him in a dream, and you can read about this in Acts chapter 18, and in a dream says to him, Paul, you know, the man that he's chosen, the man that he's called, don't be afraid. This is my paraphrase. Stay in the city a bit longer. I've got many people here. You'll not be harmed. He's almost involved in another riot and beaten up, but he's not. You're going to have to persevere. You're going to have to press in for the purposes of God, for what he's got planned for you in the kingdom. Are you expecting more? Are you expecting to discover his purpose? Or is it like, oh, is that, that belonged in the past. Yeah, maybe all those young people can sense the call of God, but you get to a certain stage, and then you kind of just, you know, all your options are limited, nothing much is going on. Uh, God just wants you to make up the numbers, really. Uh, no, throw that out. Throw that off. God has called every believer in Christ with purpose in mind. Corinth was no easy ride for Paul, and the call of God will not always be an easy and comfortable ride. But he's called you to purpose. Press in for that purpose. Believe for it. Believe for it in other people's lives and stand with them as well. Well, how else can we see the call of God? That's just there from, uh, from verse 1 in Paul's introduction, that we're called to purpose. We're also called to belong. Uh, which is what we see when he starts to address the church, to the church of God that is in Corinth. A people called together to belong to God as their father. Uh, ones that have been called out from darkness, called out from the world, called out from sin, called out from hell, called out from the sinkhole outside the door, rescued and chosen and called to be a people. Called to be his temple, the place where God would dwell, the people in whom God would dwell. Now, Corinth was a big city and with lots and lots of temples, lots of different gods were worshipped uh, in Corinth, kind of a city where almost anything went. So there would have been the temple for Caesar, who was treated as a god. There would be, you know, there was a god of the sea, god of navigation, one of the baths. I would have a, a temple for that one. A, the god of music, the god of beauty, there'd be a temple over there. And on top of this massive hill 
would be the, uh, the temple to the God of love. Says, uh, one writer says this, dominating the city was the Acro-Corinth, a hill of over 1,850 feet on which stood a large temple to Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. And the 1,000 priestesses of the temple uh, would come down into the city when evening fell and plied their trade in the streets as an act of worship to the God of love. You could worship anything in Corinth. Um, if you like, there are loads of options. No, but this people, this, these group of believers in Corinth, they've been called out not just worshipping all these other gods, not having their names written over them, but no, your, your mind. This is the church of God, his people, his possession, and his name over them. The, the phrase that's used about all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I might suggest that it's those in every place who are called by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's this group of people, they're called by the name Christ. They've got Jesus' name stamped on them. You're mine. He'll write to them a little bit later on and he'll uh, further on in the letter and remind them, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. In a way, you belong to me. You belong to God. Uh, as a church, as people, we're to have that sense of actually belonging together it's not just individuals pursuing disconnected purpose. What's God got for me? That's included, but it's included in God's call on us to belong. And you could find out more about that by doing the intro course or coming come along to the, the vision night as well. Uh, we'll talk about this as we go through this, this next term. Just the importance of belonging. Being, reckoning yourself part of the church, God's church. Sometimes people say, oh yeah, I belong to the church as a way of just popping in, hopping around lots of different churches, never really kind of landing with both feet and belonging to a people, belonging to a church, working out faith there. But that's what we're called to do. That's part of God's call on us, not disconnected individuals hoping to be significant, but people gathered together to belong, belonging together, belonging to him. It's like that moment where over dinner time, growing up, you, you saw something you wanted, particularly at pudding time. Lick your finger, stick it on the biggest piece of cake. It's mine. I've got my name on it. I've got to have that. Oh, no one wanted someone else's saliva, so they relent. You know, maybe there are other times when you kind of think, oh, I've, got, I've got my name on it. Or someone else says that about you. Here you go. It's got your name on it. It's a way of saying, it's what you're destined for. Jesus is destined to be glorified by a church with his name on. It's, these people are mine. They weren't, in a way, many of them, they weren't that special. They weren't significant and influential in the eyes of the world. But Jesus had put his name on them, which is his wonderful work. We are his possession. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not really our church. This is God's church. That's not a way of trying to elevate ourselves how significant we are, that was probably a problem in Corinth. They thought too highly of themselves. That might be one reason why Paul addresses the letter not just to them, but to everybody who calls on the name of the Lord. Look, Corinthians, you're part of a bigger picture here. It's not all about you. It's about what God's doing around the globe with his people. Reckon yourself to be a part of that big 
picture. Stand back and be in awe of what God is doing. And note that they've been called out of the world. They're still in it, the church in Corinth. But now, more wonderfully, they are in Christ. They're not just in Corinth. They're not just about Corinth. They're about him, belonging to him, called out of the world to represent his kingdom. So, called to belong. Sometimes, I've kind of noticed in, in, in church life, it can happen. The people, when they want to discern the call of God in their life and God's purpose for them personally, can kind of hold themselves on the edge. Like they don't want to get too involved, don't want to get trapped. It feels a bit nerve-wracking perhaps to be fully in a church and a member of the church. What might I be asked to do? What are the expectations? What are the rules? And la, la, la. And so what can people can do is say, I've got this real profound sense of what God's called me to do, so I can't really get involved in church. I'm just going to keep myself on the edge as if that's going to really help propel them into the purposes of God. But as I've used the analogy before, of like a, a bow and arrow, if this arrow is called to fly and hit a target all the way over there, it's going to be no help to that arrow and its call just to kind of like hold themselves on the edge of the bow. But the whole point is, the bow has to be pulled right back. You can feel counterproductive sometimes. I'm called to something over there, but I'm, I'm choosing to really pull into the life of the church. I'm, I'm choosing to trust that God is going to make sense of my life and he's going to reveal his purpose stage by stage in all sorts of different ways. I'm choosing I'm, to believe that's what God's going to do as I choose to belong, to really join, to jump in with both feet. If you don't feel that you can jump into City Church Sheffield with both feet... I'm not trying to sign you up to an endless list of specific commitments, but if you don't feel that you can fully join with us, that's fine. And part of how we might be able to help you is pointing out the other great churches in the city that exist. Because it's good to be really part of a local church, really bedded in, in relationship with other people then working out with you and praying together about our call in God and your part to play in it. Pull yourself right in this year. Don't just keep yourself on the edge. The time might come for you to go into the purposes of God, but the arrow just flops down to the ground because there's no power there. There's no oomph. Oomph. <laughs> Didn't put that word in my notes, but anyway, you know what I mean. <laughs> no momentum to the call and purpose of God by just keeping ourselves on the edge looking to the horizon, kind of just spiritually restless. Don't be spiritually restless. Called to belong. We're also called to holiness. Uh, as, as Paul is addressing the church in God that is in Corinth, he says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. The call of God for us is Holiness. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus, like by what Jesus has already done, he's achieved something remarkable. He has set us apart. So we were, we were once doing life our own way, with our own idea, going astray. He got hold of us, and then he, he set us apart. Uh, and we're set apart for him, called to be saints. It is remarkable that that church in particular should be described with that word. You're, you're saints. You're God's holy ones. 
When you read through the letter, and as we'll go through it, see all the different things that Paul has to bring up with them. About divisions and arguments and quarrelings and how they even misunderstand Paul himself. And he'll talk about their relationships. You know, this is the church where, where one man is sleeping with his stepmom. And it's almost like he's patting himself on the back and everyone else is saying, look at what a wonderful church, is, church we are. Look at what we're prepared to tolerate and work with. And, and Paul's having to write to them, what are you playing at in your relationships? Doesn't look very holy when you get close up. They're gatherings. He can say to this church, now your meetings do more harm than good. And one example would be, when you get together to break bread, to celebrate and remember the death of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are getting drunk and then and eating all the food so that others don't have anything. What, what are you playing at, Corinthians? All that's to come. He's going to be kind of like outlining, bringing to, the, bringing to them afresh that these, these are the implications of being God's people. He's called you out, He set you apart. So, so be holy. Grow in holiness. Let's expect more holiness. But right at the start point, he recognizes you are sanctified. You are holy. I've, I've chosen you. I've called you. You're mine. He'll go on to say, the Lord will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is utterly confident that this really messy church will be gloriously guiltless before him on that final day. God is working through his purpose. God is making them more like Jesus. He's confident, not because of their great strengths of character, but because of God's great strength of character. It says right there, God is faithful. Why can we be confident that the future has a church and the church has a future? We can be confident because God is is faithful. When he chooses, he's going to work in our lives to the point of completion. And it's different from, from how we would often operate or think about. You know, if, um, let's say, at Christmas I was given a new t-shirt. I don't think I was actually, but I was for my birthday. Okay, for my birthday I got a new t-shirt. And it's really nice. It's special because it's new. It's in good condition. It looks good. And it's you know, got a bit of shape to it. And so to start with, the new t-shirt might be worn on like special occasions. This is not just any old t-shirt. This is my new t-shirt. It's clean. It's fresh. It's good shape. It's special at that point. Over the months, maybe as quality as it is, that T-shirt might mysteriously shrink a bit. No, um, it, it might lose a bit of shape. <laughs> that won't happen. New year, new decade. No, um, it might mysteriously shrink. It, it might get a few stains on it. it. Might just lose a bit of definition. Might get a few bobbles. I still like it. Might still be my favourite. But I'll just wear it for anything. Any day. It doesn't really matter when I do wear it or I don't wear it. It, it was special to start with, and then it's kind of ordinary. And ordinary t-shirts are great, you can wear them all the time. 
And then a little bit further down the line, it, it, it's not special, it's not ordinary, it's kind of tired and old. And at that point, I wear it. Don't run ahead of me here. I wear it to do the gardening or do a tip run. And then, then it's used for decorating. Okay? And it's kind of covered with all sorts of paint and polyfiller and what have you. And I'm not going to go out anywhere in that. And how often do I decorate the house? Well, every now and again, but it's not often. And you kind of find from the, an old carrier bag in the garage or the cellar or something, you just get out this crusty t-shirt which you've got to pull apart because the paint's kind of stuck it together in awkward places. <laughs> God, God doesn't work that way, that way round. He doesn't say, oh, you were special once. Oh, you're, I'm really keen on you at the moment. I've got great plans for you because you're 15. You know, God does call people and God does work in people's lives all ages. Sometimes our thinking can be, oh, that was, that was there. Now I'm kind of ordinary. I'm kind of an ordinary believer. And then I'll probably be kind of a bit forgotten, really. I'll be the tired believer and the rubbish believer and the forgotten believer. But I, at least I was special once upon a time. Right back there, when I got saved, when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, when I was new to the church and everyone wanted to know me. But then I, you know, oh. I think that's not God's trajectory. That's not God's plan. It's the other way around. If you don't mind me mentioning Becky, it's a bit like what Becky does. Uh, this year I visited Tim and Becky and, uh, and I'd just, just been in Muscat for a year and, and saw their place. I thought, this is just lovely. This is a haven. This is beautiful. And I found out, you know, different items of furniture and things that you made the house. Because you couldn't take everything with you, could you? You can't really like, take all your furniture on a plane. That gets a bit expensive, apparently. Um, so she kind of acquired things. Do you know what? She'd acquired things that no one else wanted anymore. She got hold of furniture and she made it beautiful. And she arranged it and she put it in her house. And it's a beautiful place. That's what God does. He finds people and he chooses people, not because they're special and really loved. He kind of finds people who are nothing almost. But I've got a plan for you. Come and be part of what I'm doing. And that special status... It's not lost. And that's who we'll be on that final day as well. Jesus says to all of us, believing in his name, look, come, come with me for eternity. I've prepared this place for you. I've got a plan for you that stretches into heaven. It's not that you're going to get to glory and then be forgotten. Oh, I wish I'd done more with my life. It's going to be, wow! God thought of me when he made this. When God was making this, he worked out a place for us. So, so that's what it means to be, we're called to holiness. He, he tells us that's what you are. By the blood of Jesus, you've been totally cleansed by his grace, made new to grow in that holiness. So what we're doing here in, in 1 Corinthians, we're watching really, we're listening in as this community comes to terms and learns more. What does it mean? What does it mean to be God's? 
What does it mean to be Messiah people in a world that's full of challenges and questions? We're called to holiness. Let's expect more. Let's press in. And we're called to fellowship, and we'll worship in a minute. We're called to fellowship. It says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now that fellowship involves fellowship. It's another old-fashioned sounding word, really, isn't it? Partnership. Called into partnership with each other. Called into relationship with each other. But what's in focus here a little bit more is the, the sense of fellowship and partnership with him, with Jesus. Jesus, the one from whom, along with the Father, comes grace and peace. In him, in Jesus, we are enriched with gifts and with speech and with, with knowledge. Maybe Paul's writing to them because they, the, the church in Corinthians, church in Corinthians, church in Corinth is a bit proud of their speech, a bit proud of their knowledge, a bit proud of their spiritual gifts. In a way, Paul's saying, I agree with you. You've been enriched. You're special. But focus on the one who has enriched you. Focus on the one who's given to you his grace. Focus on him. It's his special love that's given you these things. The testimony about Jesus is confirmed among them. They're being sustained by him while they wait for his return. There is a fellowship with Jesus for us in the church. He is the one who does speak. He knows how to wake you up in the middle of the night and speak. Don't be afraid. He knows how to speak into your life with purpose and plans. He has called out to you. He's called out to us. And now it's for us believing for more fellowship, expecting more from our partnership with Jesus yes it's that day I will see him and I'll be with him forever I'll know him completely I'll know him more fully than I do now it's believing for more now so we are those who in every, along with those in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ so what we're going to do this evening is what we're going to do most Sunday nights what we're going to do as a church that's what I'm encouraging you to do personally call on the Lord Call on him. Speak to him. Bring everything about your life to him. If you're seeking direction in life, call on his name. If you're facing obstacles and challenges, call on his name. If you're wanting to see people saved and set free from all sorts of darkness this year, call on his name. If you're seeking purpose for your life, then call on his name. If you're 15 years old and you think, what on earth is going to happen to me after my GCSEs? Call on his name. If you're kind of looking back on a life of, of meaningful and useful and wonderful employment that you really felt called to, and then you retired and thought, well, what now? Well, call on his name. Don't go thinking that he's forgetting you. Don't go thinking that there was a time when I was special, but now it's not really all that significant. I'll make, I'll make up the numbers. No, call on God. What do you want with my life? Call on him. Call on him if you're battling through issues to do with holiness. Call on him. He knows how to help. The danger is just settling for low expectations. Settling for, for not very much. 
Now the Lord would love, sorry, not the Lord, the Lord's enemy would love for you just to settle for attending a church. Just go along. It's what you do. He'd love for you just to settle for that rather than for fully belonging. Because if he can get you just to settle for sometimes attending church, he'll work on you again, sometimes not to attend church, drift away. You won't be thinking, I believe anything different. You just think it's not a priority for me at the moment. There's other stuff going on. And there are believers who just drift away from the purposes of God for themselves. They reject it. It's what the Bible says about the Pharisees. They rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Maybe they even saw it, but they just kind of rejected it. Maybe that's what's happening to Paul. Actually, he was starting to see the purposes of God, but he was trying to reject it, trying to push it away and just keep going with the plan that he had all along. Go to Damascus and persecute a few people until Jesus rocks up interrupts his life. Does God need to interrupt you right now? Does God, does God need to grab your attention in a new way? Call on him 